0: shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. So we're going to do a deep dive into Generation Z and their impact on the midterm elections today. Joining us is Congressman-elect Maxwell Frost. And then we're going to have a conversation with Santiago Meyer, Executive Director of Voters of Tomorrow. Joining us now, Maxwell Frost, Congressman-elect from Florida's 10th District, the first Gen Z member of Congress in American history. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Congratulations.
1: Good morning. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: What are the keys, in your view, to your success and your win this week?
1: You know, for me, it really had to do with the messaging and the issues that we centered and the way in which we communicated with not just young people, but for people with people across the you know, on the messaging, I really urge the world you want to build vision building and world building with your future constituents. So we always talked about what does health care for all mean? Right. What does Medicare for all mean for you? What does it mean to have a thrivable wage? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to have uh, to live free of gun violence and really building that vision together with your constituents during a campaign? Number one, buys them into your vision and you as a person and the movement. But it also shows that it's not just about you, it's about all of us. And I think that's really important.
0: I think that's such a different message than you hear from a lot of folks running for office. I mean, you are going to be the first Gen Zer in the Congress. I feel like that is a significant moment, not just in terms of clearly Gen Z having an impact in voting for elected officials, but now you're going to be a part of the conversation of policymaking. What are your top priorities going to be going into a Congress that is a lot older uh, than you are and that um, probably has a lot of different priorities?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I always say, I feel like I don't think Gen Z cares about different issues than everyone else. I just think we see the same issues, but through a different lens. Mm. Uh, you know, when we talk about the economy, Um, And, you know, that's a word that's thrown around a lot. Um, I like to think of it more as just, you know, ensuring people have the resources that they need um, and and everyone has that economic justice. Um, It's making sure people have a livable wage, right? As young people, we think about the crushing debt um, that has been put on our generation um, that is not just on young people, but it is on, you know, medical debt, uh, student loan debt affects people no matter how old you are. Um, And we know as young people, it's not. Not because we live beyond our means; it's because we've been denied the means to live. Mm. And so we're interested in solutions to stop that root problem. So of course, I'm you know we're for the cancellation of student debt so we can help people. It's a racial justice issue, um, it's a social justice issue, it's an economic justice issue. But on top of that, figuring out how do we ensure that people don't get into this type of debt in the first place. Um, so the economy is really top of mind for me. I'll also say. There are important civil rights and human rights uh, yeah, that we need to uh, not just litigate but take action on, taking legal access to abortion, ensuring that we end gun violence in this country. And the leading cause of death for children is guns now. Um, so if you're, you know, so I, I always I always bring that up because it's in this country mm-hmm. in 2022 right now, um, and the issue is getting worse. So there's a lot we got to tackle. Those are a few protecting our democracy, which. The world, the word is thrown around a lot. I feel like sometimes, you know, everyday people listening might not don't really understand what what, what that means because sometimes I don't. <laughs> and, and I like to say it. As this. <laughs> I like to say it as this, right? Like, you know, I think voting uh, is is a right, of course, but it's not an accessible right to all people. So when we talk about protecting our democracy, I think there's like a ton of different elements of that. It's ensuring people can participate in it, um, and it's also ensuring that there's accountability when people try to. Get rid of it or uh, and call that in the question. And so all those things work together to to protect our democracy and make it more accessible for everybody.
0: Well, this is a piece of the story that I think now people are just understanding. I mean, I think that there, there was um, a little bit of an undersell in terms of this idea that there were real threats to democracy. Like there was a whole attack on the United States Capitol just two years ago. And this is the first midterm election post the insurrection. Now, I think there was a lot of analysis about maybe how moderate voters felt about that. I don't know who those people are, but like, you know, I just feel like there was analysis of like, you know, old people and how they felt about the insurrection. Not that young people watched the insurrection and saw something completely different than perhaps some of the (laughs) older generations of people. I mean, you're living in a world now post insurrection and post jobs. Talk a bit about that lens, that shift And that difference in how you view those things versus the older generations, which I feel like we talk about them too much. We need to start talking about Gen Z because you guys are here. You've arrived.
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And we're seeing that Gen Z is slowly becoming, or not slowly, quickly becoming one of the Democratic Party's most reliable voting blocks. I mean, we saw just in the midterms here, 63% of Generation Z voted for Democratic candidates up and down the ballot. So I think it's important to talk about this lens. I mean, look, I, I'll tell you, when January 6th happened, for me, um, I thought a lot about when I was on the streets uh, protesting for black lives and in protection of my community. And the tear gas, the mace, being arrested, going to jail, the verbal abuse that I experienced. I, when I saw those videos, I remember the, the morning specifically when it happened, I started crying watching these videos of people storm our capital with no immediate consequence and thought about my peaceful sit-in at my city hall where we were tear gassed, a bunch of kids and teens and people who were just fighting for a better world. So uh, when I saw January 6th happen and when I still think about it, I think about the fact that white supremacy goes unchecked in this country far too often. And, it's it's really up to us, and this is part of the reason I decided to run, to call it out for what it is. So that's why you know I mean I you know I believe in protecting our democracy, but I think this requires even deeper critique, mm. um, right? Because we're talking about white supremacy, we're talking about systems that are meant to not check it. You know, people. All, the, this take was on Twitter during January sixth, right? If those were about, if those were black folks advocating for justice or something like that, I think it would have looked a lot different. And, um, and I think most folks agree with that. And we just have to reconcile that and figure out how do we fix that? And it's, it's not an overnight thing.
0: Oh, I agree with that. I said it on the day it happened um, on my Peacock show. Yeah. Um, I said that if those were black people, it would have turned out basically just what you said, it would have been really different. And every single step they took was an exercise of privilege. I mean, it was just like they walked right in and then walked right out. Yep. I mean, there's this funny meme on TikTok that's basically like, you know, some of the folks coming out of the cap, literally coming out of the Capitol building on the day of the insurrection, just walking out like it's the end of a concert. <clears throat> just, just no, you literally. know, walking out like, you know, they went in to see the show and it's over and they're just going to go meet their friends for, for, you know, an after night after show drink. Like it, it was yep. so casual and, and even some of the sentences, I think, have been less than uh, uh, severe, considering the fact that what they did, I, I mean, I didn't know you can just run up in the Capitol and come out and then you just get probation. Like, I'm like, what? Yep. <laughs> what is going on? Um, so, so I want to sort of go back to something we had really done a deep dive in earlier in the show with Santiago, um, which is Generation Z. Now, you are in Generation Z, but also Generation Z showed up to vote for the Democrats, like basically they save democracy in this cycle. I mean, there are a lot of different demographic groups and we don't know all the numbers and the breakdowns yet. But if you're having 360 percent increase in turnout at college campuses and three of the battleground states, which thank God those governors are now going to be able to preserve democracy in the next presidential cycle. Yep. Um, but when you think about Gen Z showing up and in in numbers in this way to preserve democracy do you think that the party infrastructure needs to take <clears throat> notice and begin investing more in candidates like you and also organizing young people like you and younger even
1: 100 percent. i mean i have a lot of opinions on what the party should do in organizing i did <laughs> i definitely believe that investing more in young candidates um and also and, you know, and what I what I like to talk about too is we need year-round infrastructure building. I mean, mm. this is a problem. Look, election day was a very bittersweet day for me. Obviously my election happened, we made history, and it was a great night. But we in Florida sustained some very serious and tough losses, multiple steps back from the work that we've been doing for a while here, building up good infrastructure because the party just didn't value it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, and specifically our state party here. And uh, what I like to say is when you organize in a community year round and you build that trust, when it comes election time, you don't have to spend time persuading your voters that it's important to vote. You just got to remind them. You just got to tell them where to go do it, and they go do it. You know, people say there was a red wave in Florida. There was no red wave. A red wave is when more Republicans come out to vote than ever before. That didn't happen. What happened is just Democrats didn't go out. <laughs> they didn't yeah. go out to vote. And we saw all these candidates begging people to go vote in those final few weeks, begging Democrats and the get out to vote. So I just think it's really important that we invest more in year-round organizing. That year-round organizing needs to be on college campuses, but also... I think all too often when we think about youth organizing, we think about college campuses. Right. And a ton of our youth don't go to college, or maybe they went straight to the workforce. So Absolutely. About, yeah. So, thinking about how do we reach all young people? Because at the end of the day, I think, I think it's really important that we have the way we communicate is equitable. And so, that's when we talk about using digital media, social media, when we talk about tapping into arts, culture, um, how do we bridge the gap between cool and consciousness? and create an environment where as a young person, voting is just the thing you do. And that's something I'm really interested in exploring in Congress, too. It's how do we institutionalize mm-hmm. voting? Because mm-hmm. right now it's an extracurricular. Right. And a lot of people don't have time for extracurriculars, unfortunately. So how do we make it a part of the day-to-day life?
0: That's a really, really important point. And I love the point that you made about year-round infrastructure. I think that's incredibly um, profound, but I was also referencing the fact that in Florida, it, there need there clearly needs to be infrastructure building. That needs to be the, the, one of the messages coming out of the results this week. But in your race, you were elected, Congressman-elect from Florida's 10th District, Maxwell Frost. Thank you so much for ending our show today. It was great to have you on live. Congratulations again, and please stay safe.
1: Of course. Thank you. Have a great
0: day. Joining us now to break down the Gen Z vote and how they showed up and showed out in the midterm election. Santiago Meyer, Executive Director of Voters of Tomorrow. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, So who, first of all, before we even get into like what happened in the midterm elections, for those out there who, you know, are not Gen Z themselves, like who is Gen Z?
2: Yeah, so Gen Z is anyone born after night. on or after 1996 and before 2012. The end of it is a bit weird. Different people define it differently. Some people say it's 2010, some people say it's 2012, some people say it's 2015, but broadly it's anyone who's currently younger than 12, older than 12, I'm sorry, and who is younger than 26.
0: I I love starting there because I think in a lot of ways that demonstrates, number one, all of the Gen Z's are not even old enough to vote yet, which is like one of the things I don't think people understand. Okay, one of the one of the things that I think the media gets wrong often is that when they talk about the youth vote every election cycle or every even every two years, if we're in a midterm year, they're like, "Will young people turn out. And I'm like, you're talking about a different group of people. It's different people. There are different people voting in this cycle, or who are eligible to vote, right? So, how? What's a better way to think about every two years, or even every election? Um, how should we better analyze this Gen Z as a voting block and as a generation in 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 terms of the fact that there's always a new batch of them?
2: I think the biggest thing is to really make sure that you define who you're talking about. Because the youth vote, the term is used to find different groups of people really frequently. I mean, for us as an organization, the youth vote is eighteen to twenty-four. Many data firms use eighteen to twenty-nine, and then I I do know, for example, like many people were talking about the youth vote, how the youth vote was the only vote that broke for Democrats, but they were using anyone under Mm forty. So I think. Clarifying who you're talking about really provides that full context and paints a full picture. And then you can add those additional details. You can say, these were millennials. This was Gen C. Eventually, you will say, this was Gen Alpha. And it really helps paint the picture because each generation does have different voting tendencies and different political values. So by explaining who you're talking about, it really helps create the idea of what generation generation is doing with those political values.
0: It's an important um, sort of foundation to start with. So now we know who they are. So how many of them turned out in the midterm elections? Every single midterm elections, we hear about how normally, you know, all the history books say that it's older people who turn out in midterm elections, young people don't show up in midterm elections. What made this year different?
2: Yeah, so we don't know how many people turned out just yet, and it is driving me insane. I'm waiting (laughs) for those numbers to be available so we can start crunching them. But by all accounts, it was a record high number. I mean, just from hearing from our people on the ground, I know that uh, turnout in the University of Pittsburgh, the University of Michigan, and the University of uh, Wisconsin-Madison was up... More than 300% wow. over 2018. And I think that's a huge statistic. And it shows that there was a big trend to vote at higher levels. So we're expecting the numbers, once they're released, to be higher than 2018. Uh, this year was different for a lot of reasons. I mean, we saw, we've continued to see this trend of young people really making their voices heard. We saw it in 2018, really, in large part, led by more Lives and the gun violence prevention movement. We saw it in 2020, led by a huge need to replace Trump with a candidate that really at least listened to Gen C priorities. And then this year, we have seen an all-out assault on Generation C by the Republican Party. And whether it's at the state level with things like don't say gay and book bannings or at the national level with the Dobbs ruling by the Supreme Court, the far right has really just decided that they're going to come out after everything that Gen C values. And obviously, Gen is not a big fan of that. So <laughs> we have, Needless to say, so we have been working and organizing through since the 2021 presidential inauguration, we knew this was going to be a tough lift, and we have been working 24-7 since to make sure that we were able to deliver this critical vote, and by all accounts, it seems that Gen Z did turn out, and not only did it turn out, but it helped Democrats really defy political gravity, and still has them with a pretty decent shot at taking the Senate and
0: I mean, I think that that's exactly what happened here. Um, again, we don't know all of the, the totals yet, but I think specifically that data point that you cited about the 300% increase in turnout on college campuses, that doesn't happen by accident. I, 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 It's not only that Dobbs is overturned. It's not only that climate is a crisis. It's not only that you all have to live here on the planet that is being destroyed currently that we're not, you know, doing anything about quick enough, you're not only concerned about those issues. I think it's it's also the fact that you're organizing yourselves to engage and participate in the election, right? People don't just show up because there's a polling location on a college campus. Everybody has to be talked to, right? I mean, speak to the organizing that you reference that you had started doing at the inauguration, because that's the kind of stuff that happens on the ground and behind the scenes that the media completely misses when they're talking about polls of likely voters, which don't include you guys.
2: Yeah. So that was kind of our big starting spot, because as we kept seeing more polls being released, especially over the last few months, as we switched to likely voter models, the first thing we noticed is that because young voters are not traditionally likely to vote, they were really miscounting miss, miss, the youth vote, and they were not expecting young voters to turn out. And obviously, they were wrong. But yeah, I mean, for anyone who might not know, Voters of Tomorrow is a Gen Z-led organization that works to turn out the Gen Z vote. So it is bias for us, and it is, that really guides all of our work because we we are who we are talking to, and we have over the past few months the incredible effort into turning out gen Z. I mean through our organizing program we reached over 5.5 million i believe uh young voters in critical districts and critical states we have received we have a, our digital program ended up with a reach of over 100 million impressions
0: wow and
2: it, it's insane i mean i i i say these numbers and it at this point, I'm still kind of, I haven't slept much since election night still, so I'm still kind of processing the real results of all of this, but they are huge numbers, and I mean, there is a, we're still, like you said, finishing everything up, but there is a very real possibility that this program was the largest huge voter contact program ever, and we're not a particularly big award, so... Wow. If we could really, and by the way, I'm, not, I'm obviously not taking all of the credit because it is impossible to do that. This was a amazing coalitional effort by amazing organizers. But if this movement was able to deliver these results without any real investment, mm-hmm. I, I, I just look forward to seeing what we can do if we're able to get more institutional support and really, yeah, I mean, just support into these efforts. Because we contacted 5.5 million uh, young voters. We, I believe, did over 300,000 phone calls and actually had conversations. And I think that is a very important part of all of this, because we were, Talking to people, and mm-hmm. we were not just talking to people. When we texted someone, if they replied, I, I think my favorite conversation was someone that said that their polling place was at one of our organizers' mom's house. And our organizer, <laughs> our organizer replied, Sure, I mean, that's fine as long as you take my mom voting on you. That's so funny. And, this person replied, "Oh my God, you're my favorite person. I'm voting just because of you." And conversations like that, conversations like this, we were also happening in person. I mean, mm-hmm. our, our chapters in college campuses and local communities were working like around the clock to really meet young voters where they lived, where they are. They were in college dorms. They were in Uh, college campuses and high school campuses talking about what mattered and finding different ways to really engage young people. I mean, in Texas, we were distributing condoms with custom-printed QR codes to register to vote, raising awareness about the threat to contraception. In Florida, we distributed books with uh, voter registration information, all of the books that had been banned by different school districts. And we saw incredible results because these are people that care about things like this. These are people that don't want to be told what they can read. They don't want to be told what methods of contraception they're allowed to use. They don't want to be told. We, we helped organize amazing walkouts in Florida. And that's because they don't want to be told who they can love. Mm-hmm. And I I think When you see that energy and then you see these results, I don't think anyone who worked with the youth over the past two years is surprised at what happened Tuesday.
0: I I definitely was not surprised. I mean, I I had a feeling I just didn't know, right? I think we're all sort of going into an election day being like, especially as an organizer, you're just nervous. You're like... OK, I did all the organizing. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Let's see it all counted up. And I think, you know, to your point, it's those phone calls and those conversations that people are having with people in their own communities. Right. You're talking to other young people. And so you can relate to that person and they're more likely to listen to you. And I think that the the best part about being an organizer is really understanding what American politics is about it's not about campaign advertisements or like political pundits and strategists with laptops it is about the people and when you actually organize you learn that like I mean presidential elections midterm elections campaigning is it's kind of like a ridiculous thing that we all do right we all sort of sit through it and it's normalized but it is a little funky like people are walking around shaking hands and like kissing babies I don't know what it has to do with public policy but um this is what we do here and and one of the things that's so important is it's the hidden aspect of campaigning the organizing the organizers um that don't ever get the credit the ones that are sleeping under their desks because they don't get to go home that last GOTV weekend those folks the people like Santiago that have not slept um that work to save our democracy so that we can have another election you mentioned some of the issues that Gen Z um, was engaging on um like abortion and contraception post jobs but also I can't help but include gun safety among them, right? Because when I sort of I think it was Joanne Reed who made the point that um the Newtown kids by the time Parkland happened, they were the same age as the Parkland kids. Like that that is basically the gen this whole generation of young people has grown up with Mass shooting drills and, you know, mass shootings, um, surviving them, hearing about them, being afraid of them. Can you talk about the issues that animates Gen Z voters and, and why this election cycle specifically, so many of them are like they're an emergency, right? Dobbs is overturned. You're now in an America that you've never known before. I've never known where abortion is now. Not constitutional, climate is a crisis, and there have been mass shootings after mass shootings and And you all are the ones in schools um that have to go through those drills.
2: yeah, I mean, listen, I think this election was different, especially because we are really seeing sort of this combination of issues. so it's really not a there's really not a particular issue that drove young people to the polls. It was really a mix of many issues that really sealed the deal and obviously uh, abortion and the Dobbs decision was a huge driver but that's also combined with climate change and gun violence and access to education and student debt relief I think especially with gun violence we have seen a huge wave of movement on the issue and this wave has not reached Washington in particular yet, but we are working to make sure that people in Congress really accept the fact that it is untenable to have free access to weapons for absolutely anyone who wants to buy an AR-15 for absolutely any reason. And over this past year, I mean, we did see at least some restrictions passed on guns. So you you do have these sort of small successes, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you keep losing all of these other battles at the state level. And you keep seeing all of these people who are, ban- again, banning both, but they're not banning guns that are really killing us. I mean, I, I've i never met anyone who has been shot by Beloved, so maybe the DeSantis knows something I don't.
0: Mm.
2: But when you're prioritizing the... When you're prioritizing maintaining this, like, rosy picture of American history just because you're really embarrassed of what real history is, but at the same time you're refusing to take action when kids are dying every day, I don't think you're really an ally to Generation C. In fact, I think you're against them.
0: Mm. And
2: time and time again, you've seen all these politicians prove that they're against us. And, I mean, after Tuesday, they've really taken off the mask. You have Republican operatives just straight up attacking Generation C on Twitter. You have yeah. uh, Republican commentators saying that, wait, maybe we should raise the voting age to <laughs> 21. They, they won't raise the voting age. They won't raise the minimum age to have a weapon to 21, but they lose one election and they're ready to go and change the 26th Amendment. And it, it's, it's funny, but at the same time, it is so pathetic and it is so... It is so it just goes to prove the fact that they they know they can't win Generation C without losing their fascist ideals. But they are so attached to these ideals that they rather lose an entire lifetime of political power just to have five more minutes being Trump wannabes.
0: It is very funny that that was their response. Um, to you all turning out and just participating in democracy, like shut it down. <laughs> we got to raise the voting age. Um, I, I I can't um, go without asking you in the last minute um, or two about Maxwell Frost, who is the first Gen Z um, ever, um, ele- the first the youngest Gen Z and first Gen Z ever elected to the House of Representatives. Now there was so much talk about AOC when she was elected, but she is a millennial like me. Um, talk about um, this this new era we're in where Gen Z is not just electing people. They're going to run and win.
2: Yeah, listen, uh, I'm very excited about Maxwell. Uh, Voters of Tomorrow was one was the first national organization to endorse his race back when he announced. And we worked incredibly hard to support him. We got through his primary, to get him through the general, because we knew that in Maxwell we have like a true ally that would not only be a part of Gen Z and represent Gen Z, but that would really also work with Gen Z to participate in politics. And he is really a true representation of Gen Z values. He is progressive, but he's pragmatic, and he is willing to work hard to get things done. So I'm I'm incredibly excited for him to be there. And I I really look forward to to many more Gen Zers joining the ranks of Congress over the next few years.
0: Thank you so much for being here this morning. Santiago Meyer, founder of Voters of Tomorrow. I said four the first time. I don't know what's going on in my brain. Voters of Tomorrow. It's so terrific um, to see Gen Z coming into what I knew knew was their potential in terms of their impact on this country for the better. Um, And I think that this is the future that I want this is the future liberals want <laughs> i want um inclusion i want um i want people who don't discriminate i want like I, I just love gen z so much and i feel like um we're finally seeing some of that come into come into and become real and that is making me so so happy um san diego thank you so much again Thanks for listening to Mornings with at Check in for new episodes every weekday.